You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord Jesus, we're grateful that you've brought us together today on this Reformation Sunday, and thank you so much for feeding us, O Lord, today with the preached word and feeding us with the mysteries of your sacrament. And I pray, O Lord, that you will bless us in these few minutes that we have together as we press into our subject matter of this class. Give us open hearts and minds. Give us wisdom, O Lord, that you would help us to understand what it is you're doing in our midst and what you're doing in our city. And and give us joy in the process, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, come on in. Um, we 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 changed the order of our of the outline of our weeks together a little bit. Um, we next week, if I'm and correct me on this, next week we'll turn to questions about um, justice, which are obviously hot issues in today's climate, and they're also extremely contested. Um, so you know we're going to have to enter into this with some wisdom and humility as we as we um, try to think through the ways in which Nehemiah. Um, is, and I'm going to we'll plant some seeds for this this morning. The way in which Nehemiah helps us think about how we define justice, what justice actually looks like within the context of a city, um, and so we'll we will we'll lean into that next week. And we also have some guests that I believe are coming um, that uh, David is going to be able to interview for us, um, especially from the African American community here here in the city. So we'll we'll look forward to that. I think that'll be a very um, a very rich time for us. Um, today, um, when David and I were having lunch, uh, talking, sort of outlining our, our class together, um, we, we I don't know if it's if it's entitled this in our in our outline, but we wanted to entitle this "Brighten the Corner Where You Are." And th- this was a th- this was a, David and I both grew up in the Baptist world. Some of you maybe never heard that hymn before, but you know this is a "Brighten the Corner Where You Are." Right? Um, it, it has a kind of sort of cheesy motif to it. But I was reading that hymn this week, and um, you know that hymn talks about a kind of uh, a, a missional understanding of the church that's not limited to global missions. I think when we think about mission, we tend to think, and I'm not in any way castigating this, but we tend to think primarily of global mission and that that sort of old hymn is emphasizing for us to think about the missional character of the church in light of where we actually are um so uh, we're calling this brighten the corner where you are and we'll go slash um the the providence of our place what does it mean in the providence of god that we have a church and we attend a church that's in the heart of the city that's that's something that's not always self-evident, and this is part of the challenge, I think, that we feel as a community. N- none of us live around the church. I mean, this is, this is not a, a parish church in that sense of, think of like an English, an English village where everybody sort of walked to church together. I mean, we're not there. We're coming from all over this city, um, and, and so that, that is itself a kind of challenge to think about what a providence of place looks like, given the fact that we don't necessarily live and breathe and operate in the community um, where we actually attend church, and yet this is the providence and of place that we have here in the city. So, with all that said, I'm, I'm, I want to enter back into the narrative with Nehemiah. And um, you know, I don't, I don't. When I teach Old Testament theology at Beeson, I maybe give you know 30 minutes to Nehemiah. I mean, I hate to say that. I mean, you're covering such ground in one semester, trying to get from Genesis all the way. 
uh, to Malachi or Chronicles, depending how you order it. And so, unfortunately, I mean, I hate to admit this, but the way in which my teaching tends to go about, you know, I, I set Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles toward the end of the semester, and, and because of my predilection to trace, chase some rabbits, um, by the time you know we get to the you know to the end of the semester, it's like and, and Nehemiah happened. You know, uh, and you just kind of move on. Um, so it's been really it's been a blessing to kind of be forced in a little bit of a deeper dive into this book, and it's it's a great and complicated story. I mean, I appreciate about this, especially as we move into the conversations that we'll have today, and then and then next week as well. You, you realize that entering into the complexity of life in the city, life with our neighbors, life with those who are set in opposition to us in our place, makes for a really complicated phenomenon. Um, there's, there's, not, there's not clean textbooks that are written on how one navigates these matters as you move from A to Z. There's, and you have this, and this is one of the reasons why and I wish I could go back to a few lessons ago. One of the reasons why prayer is um, is not a, a kind of value add to the book. And you get the sense that Nehemiah meets a, a hurdle. We need to pray. There's another hurdle that comes along. We need to pray again. Um, we're running out of supplies. We need to pray. Um, so you have this sense that prayer guides Nehemiah and the elders of the city through this complex notion of building up their city again because they, they recognize that they don't have the resources within themselves. So now we're turning in the scene in the narrative where Nehemiah is actually beginning to move toward the building of the wall itself. And this is in chapters 3 and 4. If you have Bibles, you can look at this. And I'm, I'm going I'm to give this just a few minutes and then I'll, I'll hand the, the baton over. But you'll notice in chapter 3, the building of the wall begins. And I just want to read you a few verses for you to get a sense of what's going on here. Verse number 1. Now this is of interest. This is not by accident. Elish, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priest went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. That's, in other words, we've, we've set out, we've recognized the, 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 the necessity of rebuilding the infrastructure of this city. Now we're looking at what needs to be done and once they actually move toward action, it's the high priest whose name is mentioned first. I think that, that, that's significant. In other words, it's, it's those that are at the religious epicenter of the city who are thinking first and foremost about what it means to, to involve themselves. Right, This is a kind of a challenging thing. Not to slide it over, but to involve themselves in, in the act of building. Of building. I saw a, an archaeological, and, and, a, and this is a supposition, so take this with a grain of salt, but I saw a picture of an archaeological discovery of a wall that probably came from Hezekiah's time of this week, um, and it didn't look great. In other words, it, you, you've seen, like the walls of Jerusalem even now, you know, those are walls that probably are more medieval, the, the, the large walls around the inner city of Jerusalem, or the old city. The ancient walls were within that, and you know they built on top of it. But when they when they showed this picture of this wall from the eighth century, um, it, it it looked rough, um, and and so I don't know exactly what this would have looked like. But that, but I had a thought this week. I'm like, you know what? How, did you, how does a high priest know how to build a wall? Like, what, where, where does a high priest go to wall building school? That he didn't get that in yeshiva, you know, growing up. 
Um, and yet here they are, trowels in hand, stacking stones that were there, rebuilding the wall, getting themselves involved in the dirtiness. And again, this is a supposition, so take this as a grain of salt. But in a kind of a, a, an easy read here, involving themselves in a task that they were probably trying to kind of sort out along the way. How does one do this? How does one build this? And I wanted to read you a couple of other verses here. Um, as it moves on, you have the fish gates that, that's, that's listed, and then the Deshana gate, and the valley gate, and the dung gate, and then the fountain gate. And the way in which all this worked was you had families that were given, and you think about the sort of patriarchal world of, of, uh, of, ancient, of ancient Israel, families were given sections of gates that they worked, or, or, or wall that they worked on together. So they were given their, this is, the, this is the, I guess, the supposition of brighten the corner where you are. They were given their section of the gate to work on, their section of the wall to work on, and they did that as a familial unit. And this was a verse that I stumbled upon that I thought was really interesting. In chapter, in chapter 3, verse 28, it says, Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, um, each in front of his own house. You like that, right? And notice, here, here are the priests living within the city walls themselves, kind of walking out into their neighborhood and going to work across the street. So what you, I think if we're extrapolating from this and this sort of kind of moral, ethical read of Nehemiah, I think what you see is, and this is what I want to plant and for us to think about some more, a natural extension um, of their own place and their own gifts within the call to rebuild and to serve their city. Um, th there's always a danger when we get into these kinds of conversations. There's a lot of danger of moralism and a danger of sort of pulling yourself by, up by your moral bootstraps. Or, I mean, th these things can get challenging. One, one danger that I think we want to be aware of as a congregation and personally is what, what we call, uh, what I would call sort of gift projection. You know, certain people have a call to a certain kind of ministry. They're gifted for that. But you know what this is like. When you get passionate about something, um, you can grow quickly impatient with people who don't share your passion, right? Now, it's an easy thing to do, to kind of project ourselves into others. And, and I think that's the challenge we want to think about. What are, what are organic and natural ways, given our own gifts and abilities, that we can serve the place in which, in which we reside? Um, I wanted to kind of press on just a few more things, David. I'm, I'm conscious of our time here. Um, opposition occurs right out of the gate in chapter 4. Um, Sanballat and his hosts come again against the, the people of Jerusalem, mocking them. What does Nehemiah do in response to the, to the challenge that's happening in his midst? They pray again. So you see them praying. And then chapter 4, verse 14. And here's, here's a, a great... Um, th this, this would be maybe a t-shirt that, that Nehemiah would sell. Um, here you have in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 14, Nehemiah says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters um, and, and, and your wives. Now, with all that said, so you have the building of the wall taking place. You have opposition that arises. You have a prayer in response to the opposition. You have Nehemiah calling people to remember the Lord and to enter into the fray, fight for your families. And then you move to chapter 5. And this is, this is setting the, the groundwork for our conversation today and next week, right in the middle of all of this rebuilding of the city, there's a deep concern that arises for the poor. Um, verse 1 of chapter 5, Now the men and their wives 
raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. So you've got internal tensions that are arising here. And some of them were saying, we and our sons and our daughters are numerous, and in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. So we're, we're, in, a, we're in a vulnerable position. We have large families. Our families are dependent on us. Others came in and said, let's think about the heartbreak of this in the middle of trying to rouse a community to build their city. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others came forward to Nehemiah and said, we have to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our own fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and our daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards now belong to others. So do you get the sense of what's happening in the middle of this? There's this call to the community at large to rebuild the walls. And yet within this, you have opposition outside and you have opposition inside. And the opposition inside relates to matters of distinct moves of injustice of the powerful over the powerless. I mean, this is what's happening. And the horror of it, of it is, it's not Samballat and Tobiah against the vulnerable Jews. It's Jew against Jew. Um, and, and listen to this next verse. This, uh, this is, so when I heard their outcry, this is Nehemiah, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. And I pondered them on my mind and I accused the nobles and the officials and I told them, you, you're charging your own people interest? And he goes through, and again, for the time, we can't dive into deeply here, but he goes, this whole chapter is given to Nehemiah's confrontation with the nobles and the elders of the city that they're charging interest on those who are vulnerable. And, and, and this is what's not said here, but it's, it's implied all throughout chapter 5. It's as if uh, Nehemiah is saying, don't you remember why we went into exile in the first place? I mean, don't you remember reading Hosea and Amos and Micah and Isaiah the prophet and Jeremiah? I mean, those prophets aren't so far in our past that we've forgotten the, the actual conditions that gave rise to the circumstance that we find ourselves in. And this was the issue, and it, it comes right out of our sermon this morning. We weren't loving God in acts of national idolatry, and we weren't loving our neighbor in acts of, of, um, of, of injustice and, and the powerful oppression of those who were in, in need. I mean, this is where the prophets would say things like, this is a kind of a Eugene peterson paraphrase thing, but stop going to church. You know, forget it. Don't, don't go to church anymore. Um, if, if your neighbors are sort of in a, in a position of vulnerability and you're taking advantage of them, now your religion is, is an act of, of pride before me. I, I, don't, I don't want it. And so here you see this cyclical pattern within Israel's history that now they're on the far side of the exile. God's redeemed them. He's rescued them now. And here they are doing the same thing. And, 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 and Nehemiah is aghast to discover this. And so he calls them to repentance and renewal. And I had some things I wanted to reflect on, but I'm going to need to hand the torch over here. I, I just think, you know, as, as, a, as a body of believers, um, maybe some things that we want to think about is, number one, providence of place. Number two, a, a thoughtful recognition about what it means for us to be where we are and to maybe ask the Lord in His kindness um, to open our eyes to see where injustice is taking place in our midst and where God might call us to lean into that. Um, with that, I'm going to hand it over to
That was a, a great lead in. And I thought that today what we would um, talk about is really our neighborhood, where we are. Um, as Mark already said, all of us probably live somewhere further away from this place where our church is. But our church finds itself physically here where we come and we worship and we um, serve out of. It's a platform for us in our ministry. And um, <clears throat> so what is the city center? What is downtown these days? What's going on here? And uh, <clears throat> there's been a lot of change in downtown. Uh, but cities are constantly changing. You know, they're always changing and evolving. I think that's something we always need to be um, thinking about. Uh, I talked a little bit in the, the historical part a few weeks ago about, you know, the fact that there has been a fair amount of intentional planning around downtown that has gone on. Uh, this image from the 2004 master plan for downtown showed this idea of a railroad park. And we can kind of use railroad park as a little bit of a, of a point in time where things really changed dramatically. It was September of 2010 when railroad park opened and the um, the sort of way we viewed downtown, used downtown, and even um, opportunities to, for development in downtown changed a lot because of this very intentional civic space that was created. Um, probably the most visible change you see is through this Parkside area. I mean, we totally rebranded the area. That was just a light industrial district, right? Didn't really have a brand or name at all. Now we call it Parkside because of the park. And uh, brought the Barrens back and a lot of development happening uh, residentially there, but that's been happening throughout downtown, uh, and it's been really part of a, of a movement nationally that you see going on, kind of a back-to-the-city movement over the last decade, uh, but how has that hit us, and so what does that mean for us, and you know, this is sort of the professional work I'm in, and I'm going to throw these words up here, that people that work in my world, my little niche of economic development, uh, you know, we actually have an association, we call ourselves the International Downtown Association, yes, there is one. And, and, you know, we know that there's more to a vibrant downtown than just how many jobs are being created, how much investment's happening. There are layers of different things that create a vibrant, vital downtown. And we sort of have set these five things as the standard in our industry of how our, our downtowns are doing and judge them sort of this way. There is economy, um, there is, uh, which is the sort of tra traditional economic development, you know, jobs. But inclusion, our, you know, is our downtown representing and welcoming residents, employees, visitors from all walks of life? How are we doing on that uh, scale? Vibrancy, the ability of vibrant places to attract new visitors, residents, and, and a region-wide consumer base, not just a local, but really a region-wide consumer base. Identity, uh, is this a symbol of our city? Is downtown thought of as the sort of physical symbol of our city and, and sort of arts, culture, all that you know, wrapped into that? And then resilience, how is our downtown building stability? And I'm not suggesting that for a faith body, these are the things that we actually also need to, to align with, but I think it's, it's, it's a way of saying you know, downtown in our neighborhood is about a, a, a lot of different things in a community that sort of lead to flourishing, right? So our downtown, we think of as this image, this um, uh, sort of area between the interstates and with BJCC to the north, five point south. So what's going on? We have a growing neighborhood, and I'll talk a little bit more about that growth in a minute, but there are over 11,000 residents uh, that live in this. It's 5% of the city's population. That's a 3.2 square mile area, which actually is larger. My typical colleague somewhere else has probably got a two square mile area of downtown. That's sort of the average. So we actually have a larger geographic area, the way we sort of decided to put the interstates in and all that, and that's the way we think about downtown now. 
Um, it's, a, it's a significant job base, 63,000 primary jobs. Not a lot of secondary jobs going on out there, but uh, it is still a huge concentration, 37% of the city's jobs and 13% of the region's jobs. And then uh, lots of office space, hotels, uh, lots of uh, places for visitors to stay in downtown. And then, of course, our landmarks, our historic character, over 900 historic structures, which make up a physical character of downtown, which our downtown has a lot don't, because a lot of them tore down a lot of buildings in the 80s, and we actually didn't. So we've got a lot more historic character in our city, which is an advantage to us. So breaking these down a little bit, you know, it is a key employment center with a strong base of knowledge jobs. This is a good thing, knowledge jobs as opposed to industrial. And if you kind of compare us, we're the yellow bar there. Uh, we actually, in our downtown, would have more knowledge jobs in Dallas and Austin, Texas, and Atlanta's downtowns. We're a little behind Huntsville. But so, you know, when we think about who's around us, who's around our building every day, you know, what types of people are around our building every day that we have an opportunity to sort of minister to, have programs for. Um, the downside of this for us as a city right now is that um, we have um, not grown in the last decade. Our employment numbers in downtown did not accelerate uh, as it has grown in some other areas and places. And so um, uh, that's a challenge, more for me than for the church, because I'm of economic development, but um, it certainly represents a loss and a loss of some management and companies' jobs, as you can see, at 66%. So again, when we're thinking about you know things like Lenten lunches, and we're thinking about who are around us and, and who are the types of jobs that are coming. You know, we lost the yellow line here, a lot of what you might call banking and insurance jobs. That was the traditional base of downtown. It's changing. Innovation jobs are coming, uh, and that's really changing. But when you think about, again, who's around us and the types of employees. Um, and, of course, COVID, the impact of COVID, if you can see the drop in the numbers of people this line represents who was downtown on any given day, and then when COVID hit, it went down dramatically. Um, and that is going to permanently change the way people do office and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, we need to be aware of that. But here's an interesting point. Downtown is the most diverse neighborhood in the region. And this shows you the growth in downtown is the top line. But it is very much pretty evenly split between African-American residents and, and, and white residents in downtown. You can't say that for almost any other neighborhood anywhere. Uh, and uh, it is also a young neighborhood, as you can see. You would expect so, but a fast-growing older population is, is coming downtown. Many more people moving downtown that are giving up the big house and want to buy a condo or something downtown. And uh, so that you know leads to thoughts about Poverty. Well, it's always been a low-income neighborhood, technically, by the census, and it still is. Um, and, and, and you think about the numbers of students and people that aren't probably making high incomes. It's still largely a low-income community overall, but you have a, a lot of more of the higher end uh, moving in. And I was actually sort of surprised with this last census, personally, that we didn't um, we're still kind of called a low-income neighborhood. I, I thought we were, because we're moving up uh, the chain a little bit on that. So the challenge for us and people like, like me is you've got a lot of high rent and a lot of low rent. You know, 20% of the public housing units in the city are in downtown, but you've got this growing uh, luxury unit or high-end um, residential, you know, population. So where's the middle there? Is there opportunity for housing for people that can't afford, you know, the higher end, but also... Um, you know, are not you know in the in the lowest lowest rank, and I think in terms of keeping a diverse uh, neighborhood, that's that's important. 
uh, downtown is a key entertainment and recreation center. 38% growth in downtown in the last decade. I mean, that's a fast, rapidly growing neighborhood. You see sort of within a lot of places that, that are not growing. So that actually produces a lot of opportunity, but a lot of challenge too. Um, because of uh, sometimes some neighborhoods resent the fact that downtown is growing that much, um, and uh, and yet that's what you you want at the same time. So again, opportunity for all. Um, one of the downsides is our lower density. Though we still struggle to get a lot of the retail and services that people need just for day to day living. We now have that we've celebrated the publics came in, you know, and that's a great grocery store, but some people can't afford the publics. So you know, it's like how do you have lots of options? For, um, for lots of the, the diversity of, of the community. But then downtown is our cultural hub for the region. I think people still you know, think of a lot of the great institutions, museums, and things that we have in downtown, which gives us the ability to say, we as a church are right in the middle of all of this sort of arts and culture and, um, and, and a lot of the, the sort of culture of the city that sort of symbolizes visibly you know, our, our city. So what are opportunities there? You know, we have midday music and things like that that, that we continue can we continue to do those things and offer that as as um, a way to be part of the uh, cultural hub. And this is something that is just from our studying downtown. We need more hotel rooms. There are more coming, but to be a place where people really can stay and flourish and on their visit to downtown, we need more of that. And then um, around resilience, a great thing about downtown is that you can get here from anywhere, almost any way you want. But we definitely have a challenge that's growing with, uh, uh, as with most downtowns around issues of panhandling and issues related to homelessness. Um, now we are blessed to have a lot of homeless service providers in the city and in the city center. There's really a concentration of that here. Um, but that's not the only place that uh, homelessness actually happens, but it's definitely part of our community here. Um, you see there the counts from uh, the uh, Consortium of Care, One Roof, they do a point in time count every year of people experiencing unsheltered homelessness in 2021. They counted 320 and that's up a good bit from, from uh, 2020, as you can see. So there's an increase of that. And again, we're all seeing that everywhere around the country, effects of COVID and impacts of, um, uh, of uh, you know, mental health, uh, people not being able to get into mental health issues. And so it, that's a very, you know, there are a lot of layers to that question you know, that we could talk, we could spend an old, a whole session just talking about that and how to, you know, serve that. Uh, but it's definitely around us and it is an opportunity for us. And so if you think about our church and its location, um, it is in the heart of a mixed, very mixed district, mixed neighborhood, mixed of employees, mixed of uh, residents, mixes of um, uh, the uh, people coming just to sort of entertain themselves, which would, wasn't happening 20 years ago as much as it is today. And so there are a tremendous amount of opportunity around us. And again, um, as I've always said, we weren't here to sort of tell you what we ought to be doing as a church, but to, these things to help us think about what we ought to be doing as a church. And I put these words back up here uh, because, you know, if you, you again, you think about um, uh, how we contribute. Obviously, we have a, a Christ-centered mission, a gospel-centered mission, uh, but uh, the sort of flourishing of the city, um, we, we touch in a lot of different ways, whether we're, you know, specifically um, uh, you know, doing something that, that seems obviously, you know, Jesus-focused, but it's also the way we live as Christ followers and as a church maybe sort of, um, you, know, you know, live out, live that out. And, and who we touch. I mean, I kind of go back to this map. I mean, you think about the communities around us, the Park Place community, 
um, uh, is a is just a literally almost a, a stone's throw from the church. I know we have some relationships there. We did a, our trunk and treat there last Wednesday, and with that community and building some some relationships there. But you've also got um, people that are um, uh, in the loft district that they're you know interested in lots of different different types of cultural things and so i know we can't be all things to all people as a church but we do need to think about all of this that's around us and uh that that serving our downtown uh presents a, a, a every almost every bit of humanity possible really here and around us so um with that i just wanted to present a lot of that to say here's what downtown is where it's going we've got i think a lot of growth to continue in downtown but um uh, you know we, we it's very different after covid it's going to be different um uh, for us after george floyd and the way we think about our relationships with with other people um and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week but we've got you know a couple of minutes and i'm happy to sort of open it up for any questions or thoughts about anything about downtown that you might want to talk about our neighborhood our community did i see a hand anybody yes sir So gentrification is a word used a lot over the last decade, as, as especially as some cities have, have seen people move back. Um, you know, the interesting thing is for downtown, so many of the people moving into downtown did not displace, because really the heart of the issues with gentrification often is displacement. Who's getting displaced because somebody else is moving back in? And there hasn't been a lot of displacement in downtown because you've had his older buildings that are historic get renovated for new residents and they weren't displacing anybody to do that. Now, over time, as you know, maybe a Southtown uh, public housing units get redeveloped, there's, there's gonna be changes in the numbers of units available for low-income people. And so that's why um, thinking about how we make sure that there are housing opportunities for everybody uh, it has to be very intentional by the city and the business community and everybody. But um, gentrification, it's a tough word because for some people, gentrification is well look there's value and people are moving back to a place but then for others it's scary because they're like well these people are coming and i'm going to get pushed out so that's in in the context of being aware of the impacts of our of our efforts you know what are those kinds of impacts and i can tell you the fear is real i mean a lot of people whether gentrification is real or not the fear is there for a number of people so thank you for that question yes sir Right. Well, um, certainly, what you see downtown is a more dense urban environment, and so it's um, it you know by by the time you get a lot of folks having kids, they want to have more of a house in the neighborhood. So you see that sort of missing thing for downtown. Uh, you know, beyond just the school issue, just the physical. You know, people usually want a different kind of neighborhood when they have have kids. But uh, education is always a, a, a challenge for the inner city. But you know, that's why. I think, you know, think about the Advent. We have a school that's tied to the church. And uh, I think that's a tremendous missional opportunity that we maybe think about or don't think about enough, you know, as, 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 a, as a thing that our church church has and does. Um, uh, I think that um, 
uh, downtown, but you've got, uh, I didn't, I didn't, you're, you're right, I failed to put, you know, that there are, there, there are an elementary school at Phillips Academy. We've got our school here. There are a number of daycare facilities all around, but um, uh, really, I don't think for, for bringing people to the city, you know, the actual numbers of people, if you look at the number of households that have kids in them, it's really a small number, like 70 or 80% of the households don't have kids in them. So um, for those seeking education, you know, it's a smaller n number of people. And so I think downtown can grow without that being like the, the deal killer, you know, but um, it's definitely a factor. I mean, it's a factor for us. I mean, we're, we're, our family lives in a city, uh, in the city limits. And so we have gone to the Advent schools and our son there and now another private school. So it does, it does impact things. Yes, sir. This kind of relates to something Mark said about uh, building the wall. Johnson and I were just in Santa Fe and saw the, it's called the oldest church in America built in 1610. I was just reading the fine prints. they like that. The soup here was supervised by like a Franciscan monk, and it's just like, and it wasn't Brassfield, Glory, or Harvard. It's just like, oh, I mean, this wasn't in his job description, and it's still there, you know, 400 years later, and you just got this monk, so I guess I'm it. That is a great uh, story and perspective, and um, yeah, you know what what's not getting done that maybe we need to do uh, is part of the assessment, you know. And I'm, and it could be a little scary because I wouldn't don't don't put me in charge of building something. Um, <laughs> it will not stand. It will not last. But you know, who knows? There's something else. Yes, ma'am. Question being, you know, do I find race relations better or not? Uh, that's going to be a better conversation next week when uh, we have um, our friends come in and we can talk honestly, you know, about about that. Uh, it's it's clearly a, a factor, but I I think you have to look that we're not the Birmingham of 1963 anymore. I mean, that's that's factual, but there's still legacy issues that um, you know sort of still you know plague us, um, and uh, and we have to be. We have to wrestle with and be honest about, but I think that'll that'll be more of our conversation next week. And I think we, so. Let's let's punt that one to next week a little bit more. One more question, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Right. Question was crime. Um, you know, the reality is the statistics of crime are that crime are very low downtown. It's uh, more perception of crime, and that's sometimes fueled by, you know, if you get panhandled or maybe there's somebody who's having has a mental health issue that you know does it pretty aggressively, and it makes you feel uncomfortable. And um, uh, you know, the reality is, you know, I'm not saying crime doesn't happen in the city center because obviously we're in close proximity to um, a lot of people that that. Um, feel the need or you know to do that but I think that 
downtown itself is not as you know the actual statistics of crime. You can feel safe downtown, uh, but uh, it's it's a it is a constant uh, challenge uh, in working with that and a perceptions, but then also just keeping people safe. So I get it that there are a lot of perceptions to overcome uh, for downtown, and and but there's some realities to to deal with as well. Um, it's just the the nature of, of of urban living these days, urban life. I think the bigger challenge downtown, if you ask anyone who lives downtown right now, what's the problem? They're not going to say it's that I'm getting broken into or anything. It's that people are have decided to, to, to cruise at night downtown with their uh, fast cars. And their, if you've ever driven on the streets and you see the streets, it's because people come downtown at night and like have those old drag race things. And it's a lot of noise and, and it's unsafe. And that's, yes, ask somebody living downtown, what's your biggest problem? That's what they would tell you. So. Well, with that, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, let us pray before we go. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, you uh, bless us in place here and uh, help us to always see how we can be best flourishing, uh, helping the city flourish. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at Advent Birmingham.